Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. We are going, I, I think we're going to be okay, right? We, it just takes a minute sometimes. Okay. So I had a, she had a word that she sent me, and I thought it was really fitting for um, where we're headed today uh, with the message. So I'd love for her to sh- just share that. Go ahead. Well, good morning. First, let me say thank you. Thank you for being a church that makes room for the Holy Spirit in all of us to be activated. I really appreciate that. It means a lot, especially in places that I've been that that wasn't so prevalent. So thank you. So what I hear the Holy Spirit saying is that he really, really wants us to take a minute and listen to something because he wants to change our perspective about a particular word. Collectively, as overflow, but also individually. That new perspective is of the word new. It really needs to be shifted for what he has in store. He really needs us to get his point of view. In Isaiah 43:19, it says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? How could we possibly not perceive it? But you'd be surprised. We're not hearing that word correctly, and it's very important for what he has on the horizon for us as the church, as overflow, and individually. What he's doing is he is inviting each one of us personally, not just on Sunday morning, to come talk to him and to listen to him. Because this new does not mean the same, just in new condition. For example, you find the perfect purse. It's amazing, goes with everything perfect size, want to use it for every time and every season and every outfit. You find a pair of shoes. They work for everything. You don't have to think about it. They're great. And then they start to wear out. The purse wears out. The threads are coming off. You need something new. But you just really want the same thing that you've been having. You just want it in new condition. God says, nah, no. You're applying that to what you've seen, what you've experienced, and what you've known as familiar in the church and in your life, and in his calling in your life. And he really is like, you're going to miss what I have if you don't let me change your perspective. If you don't give up those old ideals, if you don't lay down the old opinions, the things that are familiar, it's so easy to just get in that rut or think, oh, we've got this figured out, or I have imagine it might be like this. He really is encouraging us to let go of those things because if not, we may miss it at the least, And at the worst, we could be offended. We know that happened to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They really had it set in their minds how he was going to come, what was going to happen. They had it all planned out. 
and they really missed it and they really got offended and it was not good and we don't want to miss what God has for us. Making sure I'm not missing anything. So I would encourage you and leave you with this. Spend some time and ask him to change the way you respond to things. One of the things that has helped me when I wanted to figure it out and I wanted to be in control and I wanted to understand and I wanted to feel like I was prepared for what this new thing was, because new sounds fun until it gets here and you realize it's not the way that you wanted it to be. One of the phrases that I've used, and I'll leave you with this, instead of saying, I wonder how God is going to do this, or maybe he'll do it through this, or maybe this is what it'll be like. Instead, catch yourself and just say, God, I am so excited to see how you are going to bring this about, how you're going to break through in this area. I'm excited to see what you do, how you do it, and what you do in me and through me in the process. So I'll leave you with that. Thank you. It's perfect because we're, and thank you. It's perfect because we are talking, we're in the Selah series, and we've gone through several weeks now of praise, of pause, of prompt, and now of pivot. And we're in this series, Selah is a, is a very encompassing word that means a, a whole slew of things, and so we've kind of positioned it with five main points. Um, but Selah allows us to reset and make sure that we're keeping in line and at the cadence and the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. So it just allows for that interlude, that bridge from one point of music to another, that rest, that moment that allows us to come with expectancy that God is doing something. So today we're on pivot, and I was thinking about this story. So I got to go to Iceland last year with a couple of girlfriends. I got a girl's getaway, and... Um, and we went on a, quite a few excursions. It's a beautiful place. I highly recommend it. But we went on a few excursions, one of which, because I'm a Florida girl, I'd never been on, and that was glacier hiking. We went glacier hiking, this Florida girl, with a couple of my girlfriends. And we looked, they give you all of the equipment, and we looked a little bit like um, Yukon Cornelius from Rudolph. <laughs> Like, we literally looked like that. You'll see pictures in a minute. But they give you an ice pick, and they put these things on your feet so you can walk through the ice. They're called crampons. I don't know. But that is what they're called. <laughs> and we tried to say other things, but that is what they're called. So we had these ice suits. Um, we had the ice pick, and we were, like, ready to go. They did, like, a safety briefing. And, um, and then we headed out. And they had these ridges. As you're going, you see the lake behind you and the point of it was to try to get to this ice cave where the water was flowing through and under the glacier. It was supposed to be really magnificent, and so that's where we were trekking. And so we had the, this was behind us, the view behind us, and they had these ridges, which from far away looked like wrinkles. They were no big deal. But then when you got close up to them, they were, that's just one of, of many of them that we had to traverse along our hike, and we had two guides, and one of, they each took a position, one in the lead and one behind us. And the gentleman behind us, he, was, he didn't say much. He just kind of made sure nobody fell in the cracks, I think, as the other one led, led us further down. There was five in our group. And, um, 
as we're approaching these ridges, we would be standing there like hacking away at ice, having no idea really what we're up against at all. No clue. And there, <laughs> the two guides would be sitting there looking at them and trying to figure out how we can get along without dying, basically. How we can get along without falling through the cracks or injuring ourselves and making sure that we're positioned well to continue on the journey. And so our front guide, she was a lot more uh, vivacious and just fun and high energy. And we get to this point where we're almost to the end where this, the, the cave is kind of right there. And we didn't know what to expect, but we were hitting um, if you could go back one picture, Phil, thank you. We were hitting this place where it was very, very steep. And so they took quite a while trying to figure out how can we get you down here? Because every time they go, it changes because the ice melts. And you would hear it coming off the cliffs, crashing and all that kind of stuff. It was very jarring, but we get to this place and it's really, really steep, and so they make shift like a lead so we can hold on to it and not just slide our way down, which could have been fun, but also it was very rocky. Uh, so we had to hold on to it, and our guide would stand right in front of us going backwards as we kind of were like this, going down. And meanwhile, Colin, I think is his name, Nikki was helping me remember, He's there hacking away with his ice pick. And I was like, is he doing his CrossFit class? What's happening? But we're not even paying attention because we're so focused on getting down and around the corner where the ice cave is. That's where they said we'd find it. So there we go, one at a time, just slowly kind of inching our way down and around the corner. And so we get around the corner. And this is the first sight we see is the next picture. It's this incredible ice cave. It's, huge and they have people that like actually rappel down into it that wasn't us but maybe one day um and and we would hear you'd hear the the loud roar of the water rushing underneath it was so picturesque and beautiful there's another picture of the three of us and and um so we get through past the ice cave and they're they're prompting us they're like it's time to go now we got to make it back up and as soon as we turn the bend you can show that picture that whole time, our guide, Colin, had been creating stairs for us. We had no idea, and I, we were wondering, how the heck are we going to get back up this thing? Like, we're so steep going down. How are we going to get back up? And as soon as we turned the corner, we had no perspective for this. He had created stairs in the ice. And I started crying because I just thought in that moment, the wonder of who our God is, that he wants to blow our minds, that the pivot, the moment that I was going one way and I turned around and came back around the other way brought revelation to what he was doing. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See, going down, I was focused on the next step. Pausing, I was focused on the moment in front of that cave. And then we were prompted by our guides to move, but the prompt produced a pivot. And that pivot gave me a new perspective of the place I had just been. The pivot allows for revelation, something new to be discovered, realized, 
and revealed. But we are so conditioned to move in one direction, to not let anything shift our gaze, that oftentimes we will not pivot when the Holy Spirit prompts us, so we miss the entire thing that the Lord is doing, and we never get the revelation of the new thing. That God is at work, that he is doing something. And if we don't turn our ears to hear him and notice that new thing like Maria was talking about, we'll miss it. We become trapped inside of our own routine, which causes us to neglect the Selah moments that allow us to shift our perspective, to shift our momentum, to pause, to stop. There's two ways that pivot is used. I didn't know this going in when we planned this series, but as I looked it up, there's two ways that pivot can be used. One is as a noun, which means it's the axis or the anchor point, the fixed and supporting mechanism by which things can turn. So there's like a, 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 a tool and then it goes around, like the axis of our world, and it's spinning like a pivot. It's anchored in something which will allow it for stable movement. Now in basketball, any basketball fans? I tried out for the team when I was in middle school. I did not make it. I tried really hard. I went practicing with my dad. And then I got to high school. Their team wasn't as good. And the coach came looking for me in my high school class and said, I heard you tried out for another team. Will you come try out for our team? I would really like you to play. And I said no, because I had already failed in one area, and I didn't want to try in another. I didn't want to fail again. I didn't want to lose again. But I learned some things in basketball when I was trying, trying out, trying to try out. <laughs> and that is, you have this pivot stance, right? And this is a fundamental of basketball, that you have to anchor your one foot so that you can move around, right? I'd probably get Braylon to show us really well. Come up here, Braylon. You want to come up? You want to come up, Braylon? You got to show us how it's done. He's even got his jersey on, right? All right, show us how, how you do a, a pivot stance. It's way better than me. Yes. So he's got one foot anchored. Now, Braylon, what happens if you lift that foot? It's a travel. You got to be anchored with one foot, right, and move around. Yeah? Thank you, bud. You're awesome. So kind of you to do that for me. I called you right up here. Um, all right, so, so we have this pivot. It's this anchor point, and that's where we use it as a noun. It's a fixed position. Newton's first law states that every object will remain at rest or in a uniform motion in a straight line unless something compels it to change. So you'll stay fixed in that moment until something moves you. You'll stay fixed in your routine until something moves you. Or if you're going to just keep going and be distracted, it's going to continue until something external forces upon you to shift and move and pivot. Inertia is resistant to change. Inertia means that I'm going to allow something um, 
external to come, and then I'm really, it's going to be hard for me to want to move. And so when it comes, I'm going to push against it. That's inertia. Why am I telling you this? Because you have a pivot point. You have something that you're anchored in, and it's important that if you recognize today that it's not the Holy Spirit, that you aren't resistant to the change that, it need, that is needed for you to anchor into him. What are you anchored in? What is your pivot point? Now here's where it's used as a verb. It's to turn, twist, or change course, to change direction, to shift according to the prompting of something else. Gravity or motion or a propulsion of something, something causes it to move and it continues to pivot. It turns, it shifts. So we see a lot of turns or pivots in the Bible and not all of them are from people who are listening to the Holy Spirit, right? So when we look at it, you know, God's sovereign, he controls all the things that happen, but not everything that happens in the Bible is produced out of a prompting of the Holy Spirit, Adam and Eve, for example. So we see a lot of pivots. In 1 Samuel 8, we see that Samuel had placed his children as judges over Israel, but they don't walk in the same holiness as their father. They were corrupt. And the Israelites saw this and begged for a king. Their prompt caused God to pivot. So Israel is praying and asking God, please give us a king. These judges are corrupt and unruly. And if we had a king like all these other nations, then maybe we could live in the holiness you've called us to live in. And God responds to them and their request. In 1 Samuel 9, Saul is chosen as the king. The Bible says... He was choice. Do you know the Bible says that about Saul? That he was choice. Do you know what that, cho that choice word means? It means good. But not the good that we would just recognize um, as a, just something good. It's the good of Adam and Eve in the garden when God created the garden. It was that kind of good. Saul was that kind of good. And when we know about Saul continues, he doesn't stay that kind of good because of the pivots that he makes in his life. 1 Samuel 16, Saul was God's chosen king, and when he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, so he goes in for battle, Samuel's supposed to come and sacrifice, and Saul took his position as lead prophet and made the sacrifice instead of Samuel. And in that moment, it caused a pivot and change in the line of, in lineage of Israel's kings. God saw that Saul would not continue to choose him, and a new king was to be commissioned, and David was that king. God pivoted based on Saul's choice. Samuel pivoted based on God's movement. David pivoted based on God's call. So he works all things to the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, even when we don't pivot correctly. So David receives the call and receives the anointing, and then he has to wait 
in 1 Samuel 16. So we move to 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be today. And it says that Goliath was taunting the ranks of Israel's army, and it was working. He was over nine feet tall. And so I have a picture of what seven feet tall looks like, and probably about the size of what David was. Kevin Hart is about five, two, and, uh, and Shaquille O'Neal is seven, one. Goliath was nine feet tall. So add two feet to that, and David was a young boy still, and so not a boy, but a young man, and so he wasn't, you know, he's probably maybe, maybe five, six, I don't know, maybe a little bit taller, but he was still growing, and so these, this is kind of the, what was happening to the Israelite army. They're looking at a man that stands higher, two feet higher than Shaquille O'Neal. Can you imagine such a thing? So David, though, is anchored in God's commandments, and pivots towards obedience. So David gets to the battlefield, and each day, this Philistine comes out among all the Philistines. They would all line up for battle, and instead of them all going in rows and ranks, the Philistine had one giant, and they put him out front and said, we'll end it all today. If you have somebody that can come and defeat our giant, we'll become your slaves. But if we defeat you one-on-one, then you become our slaves. And for 40 days, this was happening. Meanwhile, David had eight, he was one of eight, he had eight brothers, and he ended up having three of those brothers in the battlefield. So he goes into the battlefield sometimes as his father prompted him to, to bring supplies to his brothers and to their commanding army, their command officer, to help bring them some sustenance, right? So they go in, and, and David comes, and he's being obedient to his father, which is what he's anchored in, and it brings about this holiness, this holy moment. David hears what's happening on the battlefield. Jesse, David's father, asks him to take this food. And it says that David leaves his normal position to obey his earthly father's request. He leaves his sheep in the care of someone else. Verse 8 says, the giant comes out, stands and shouts to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So everybody ran. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army, And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brother. So he leaves these supplies, which is the reason that he came, his assignment on earth by his father, with the keeper of the baggage. He had already left his sheep with someone else, and now he's leaving his supplies with someone else. Through this entire process, he's simply obeying the will of his earthly father, which brings him to this moment, because this whole time 
He's just been waiting, just waiting since he's been anointed. So as he talked with them, behold, the champion, again, this is what the Philistine calls the giant, by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And here's what shifts. David heard him. David heard him this time. You know, your battle comes from an enemy. It's not something God creates for you. Your battle comes from an enemy. He created you. God created you and gave you victory through the Holy Spirit, though. He's allowing the battle to come to you so that his kingdom will reign and advance. And that's what happened with this Philistine. The Lord has prepared someone to say, I'm not going to let this happen on my watch. When that enemy of your marriage, of your finances, of your children, of your future, of your job, of your ministry, of your calling, of your health, of your community, your gifts, or your church starts taunting you, you have been given ears to hear for a reason. You will lose every battle that you choose not to fight. He has already prepared victory over our enemies. We always think that the prompt is going to come by the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? And the anointing had come. His chosenness had come upon David, but he entered into the battle because of what he heard the enemy say. Do you get that? We're waiting always for another sign from God to come in and tell us to go fight. And he's saying, because you're my chosen servant, I've given you all that's available in heaven and on earth. You're already chosen and enlisted in my army. It was a pivotal moment for all of Israel. Until now, the earth's armies had heard from an earthly perspective but something is changing on the earth because someone heard from a heavenly one. So David pivots and he says this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now what he's saying is, who is this pagan, this one who doesn't understand the things of heaven, the things that my God can do, the victory that is ours, that he has promised? Who does he think he is? So he says this, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard that he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you let those few sheep in the wilderness? Who did you leave your stuff with? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab minimizes David's position and responsibility. Eliab pivots also and makes David his enemy instead of the Philistine. I think this pervades a lot of what happens in the church. That we're so, like if David would have paused right there and been like, oh man, I'm so offended by what my brother said. I'm going to just need to take a minute and like process that. Right? We got to take a minute when somebody comes against 
who we know and who we're rooted in as God's people. Don't let that take you down, please. You have a giant to take down. So when we, when we take too much time processing maybe what somebody has said about the intention of our heart, about why we're moving forward into our calling, it delays what God wants to do in our life and against the giant. Eliab makes David the enemy instead of the Philistine, but David doesn't. He keeps his eyes on that Philistine, and he shrugs it off. What have I done now? It was just a word. He minimizes what the enemy is trying to taunt him with in another way. He doesn't battle his brother. He saves it for the giant. He turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, so he just pivots his head, says, all right, I'm going to go this way. You don't want to hear me this way? I'm going to go this way. And so he continues to say, Who defies this? And it echoes all the way until it reaches Saul. It's like he just knocks the dust off of his feet about his brother. He pivots. David is anchored in God's anointing, and he pivots toward providence. David sees the stairs out, like we did in Iceland. He came in one way, as a shepherd, he's leaving as a warrior. He came in, we came down on a steep decline, we go up on stairs. The words of David against the Philistine army echo again and again, and David makes his statement to Saul in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul tells him why he can't. He gives him another reason. You're too young. You're too small. You're too this. You're not enough. And David refutes every single time. He's like, listen, man. I'm not going to let you knock me off of this pivot. I see the stairs out of here. I see how we can have victory. David is anchored in God's authority, and he pivots toward victory. 1734 says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep. The only thing that shifted from where David came in to where he left was the enemy that was stood before him. Suddenly has a new assignment, and he understands greatly what that is. The hardest thing that happens in the church is not from here to here, It's from your heart, not from your head knowledge about God to your heart knowledge. That's a shift. But it's from taking your heart knowledge and putting it in action in your feet. That's why our world is suffering. Because we have a lot of head knowledge. We even have a heart belief. But we don't do anything with it to move it in our feet. And David's saying, I'm not going to listen to that, man. I know what happened to me in front of my brothers and in front of my father and on that anointed day. I know there's a calling on my life and I'm chosen by God. And if this be the day that I step into it, let it be the day. I will take it and I will say yes and I will climb those stairs to the place God is calling me to go. David is anchored in God's authority and he pivots in victory. He said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of its mouth, he pursued the beasts. He pursued them. They came into his sheep pen 
right? They came into his sheep pen for the sheep, not for David. And he pursued them to loose the jaws of the enemy. If he arose against me, it says, I caught him by his beard, the beard of the lion, the mane of the lion or of the bear, and struck him and killed him. That means if I took this thing out of its mouth and pulled my little lamb out and put it in its, in its pen, and he came after me, I held him by his beard and struck him. How close is that? That's pretty close. David's not a fearful guy. He was ready for whatever God had in store for him, and God used his shepherding to position him to defeat the giant. And that's what he's done for you and I. What you have gone through in your life, the places that you're, that you're sitting right now, the way that you grew up, they have positioned you to be a mighty warrior in God's army. He killed him. So your servant has struck down, David tells Saul, both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David didn't make it personal about him. He made it about God's name and that God's name would not be put to shame. His logic was, if God gave me strength to take down these two beasts who were messing with some sheep, then how much more will he provide for me to take down the Philistine who is messing with the armies of God? So I want you to fill in the blank with me. If God gave me whatever to whatever, then how much more will he provide for me when it's for his kingdom. So if God gave me wisdom and strength to mother three biological daughters, then how much more will he provide when I'm called to parent 13 or 30 or 300 or 3,000? This is the faithfulness of my God. This is not how good is Aaron. This is the faithfulness of my God. If he's providing it for three, how much more will he provide it? Otherwise, I'm doing it in my own strength, and I'm not called to do that. So here we go. If God gave me boldness and communication skills to share about a good product, some of you who are in sales, how much more will he provide when I'm called to share the good news? If God gave me provision and ingenuity to build a business, then how much more will he provide when I'm called to build his kingdom? If God gave me the heart and hands to provide healing medicine and procedure to sick people, then how much more will he supply when I'm called to pray with healing hands over sick people? If God gave me courage and peace to respond to an emergency or crisis, then how much more will he provide when I'm called to restore belief to those who are in crisis in life? There is a position God has called you to, and if you would be willing, he will allow you to use it for his kingdom. Victory is David's reality. He didn't fight these battles for himself. 
Number five, David is anchored in God's identity and he pivots toward humility. See, he, David, Saul tries to put his armor on David, but he positions himself in a way that's humble. He says, I, I understand the call of God on my life, but I'm not going to be weighed down by what you think I should be wearing. You want me to look like a warrior, but I'm just myself. I've got to be myself. I've got to go in the way that I have before. Because God was with me then, he'll be with me now. When I look at the giant, I see what came before him, which is a lion and a bear. A lion, when it stands up on his hind, hind legs, is five to seven feet tall. A bear, when it stands up on his hind legs, averages six to eight feet tall. Now he's got a giant standing there, just a little bit taller than the last one he struck. God kept elevating him to be able to do what he's called him to do. So in verse 40, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David is anchored in God's name, and he pivots toward action. There's a certain way that this sling is shot. And it's not like one of those three ones that like, you kind of do like with a rubber band. You put it in your hand, and it, and it extends out, and he swings it. Doesn't that look like a pivot? There's an anchor point, and it's swinging around. And there's a couple ways he could have thrown it, but each of them, there's an anchoring point and a pivot. And there's a place where he has to open his hand to release one of the strings so that the rock can fly. There's a place where you have to step to the giant and know that God is going to do what he can only do. He took one of the rocks out of the five. He twirls it around his head. And he releases it, which means whatever happens, it's in God's hands now. He had to open his hands and release that rock to fly. Goliath comes out again and he taunts David. And this isn't surprising, so don't be surprised when the enemy keeps coming back with the same message over and over and over to you because he wants you to be weary in the battle. The Philistines had been, or the Israelites had been listening to this for 40 days. But this was day one for David. Day one for him to hear the enemy's taunts against the living army. God's living army. And his position never shrank as he approached Goliath. We always want to minimize our circumstance. We want it to get smaller, and that's what we pray. We pray, God, would you minimize my circumstance? And he's saying, would you fight? Would you get up? Would you wake up? Would you take what I've given you in your hands? Would you position yourself? And would you go be people of action? He's anchored in God's name. And so he approaches but not as a meek and timid warrior. He runs toward that giant, it says. And as they approach each other, it says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. That's a lot of armor. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. He was coming with it. He knew who his God is. Do you know who your God is and how he fights for you? What kind of faith is launched in us when we start to proclaim who our God is and who he has always been and how he will continue to be? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I'll strike you down and cut off your head and I'll give the dead bodies of the host of Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and with a spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. He wasn't going to use the weapons of the enemy to fight the enemy. God had given him another weapon and God has given you weapons for this region to declare God's name and make it known here so that all the earth will know that he is God and he loves, he loves them. He loves you and I, he loves us. We don't have to fight flesh and blood anymore. Our weapons are mighty. They are love. They are his power. They are his miracles. They are his words of knowledge. They are his healing. They are his truth. It's his word. So Goliath never shrinks and neither does David. He never shrinks back or away from the giant. Hebrews 10.39 says, Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, say we. Okay. Say it like you know who you are. Do you know who you are, mighty warrior? But we, we. but we, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are preserved, are saved. We are saved by the power of God and what he's done. And if I can implore you today, it is to take what God has given you, to ask him what it is he wants you to do, and to go do it, to not delay. That there are giants coming into our region, not physical ones, but spiritual ones that believe that they have territory here, that if the people of God would stand up and say no, they would be taken down. It is like not even a fight. It is not even a fight. Do you know who our God is? That we can step up and say, you must be torn down. You spirits who try to pervert our region, you have to be torn down. You must come down. If I say that, great. But if we say that, if we step together, if we go together, and we have one voice that says, not today, not on our watch. As soon as David spoke, and that giant fell, and he launched that stone into his head, it sunk into his head and knocked him back. And then all of the Israelite army 
was so charged and ready that they went and fought and the Philistines turned and ran. I'm telling you guys, you have a voice that is so necessary for people to recognize that they don't have to be afraid of what's coming. We are not of those who shrink back, not us. There's this pivot joint in our body. There's several, but the main one is in our neck. We have a pivot point in our neck. It allows us to turn this way and to turn this way. And if we keep looking over here, we pivot our neck, but we never turn our body. We don't go that way. We never go that way. We don't walk sideways. We can't march into battle going like this. I see you, Lord. This does not convey a belief that God is who he is, does it? I want to go this way, but you're telling me to go this way. Okay. He's saying pivot. You know what he calls the Israelites in the Bible? A stiff-necked people. Don't be stiff-necked. But turn your gaze toward the Lord. Pivot your body and march into the battle that he's called you to. Go into the places of darkness. The ones that look like light, but the people are depressed and helpless and hopeless. And meet them there with the good news of Christ. That is why you were chosen, beloved. To go into these places, to tear down the giants in our region and to claim victory for the Lord. He will have his bride. He will. He will have his bride. And I know you desire to walk with him and to go with him. Would you stand with me? We are gonna be a people with our heads on a swivel, ready, not out of fear. We're not gonna be a people with our heads on a swivel out of fear. We're gonna be a people with our heads on a swivel out of holiness, looking constantly, where are you moving? Where are you moving, Holy Spirit? I wanna go with you. I don't wanna miss it. I wanna pivot, I wanna pivot, I wanna pivot right where you're going. I wanna go, I wanna line up with. Whatever distraction has kept you resistant to change, that inertia that you feel the Holy Spirit moving and calling, and you say, I don't know what it is. I'm just calling right now for that thing to fall in Jesus' name. That resistance to the Spirit of the Lord, that resistance to the pivot, that resistance away from distraction, I command those things to fall in Jesus' name, that our hearts would be humble and ready, that we would be flexible in our necks. I believe that some of us are resisting the prompt. You've been headed in a singular direction. 
But Maria's word was to recognize the new thing, that it's not gonna look like the old thing, but it's gonna be a new thing, a new way of friendship, a new way of intimacy with God, a new way of identity, a new way of help, a new way of doing business, a new way of parenting, a new way of marriage, a new way of education, a new way of honoring, a new way of faith, a new way of financial freedom. I used to be a terrified pushover. Not anymore. Not anymore. I pivoted to have the perspective of my king and I climbed out of that place. I climbed out of that place that I thought was good. When I made Jesus the anchor point for my heart, I could see through his eyes, through his strength, through his provision. And now I'm a warrior, and so are you. You're not a terrified pushover. You're not one who shrinks back. So a lot of us in the Selah moment have been doing some work, and I'm going to ask the prayer ministers to come to the side. If you have something and you're like, today's the day I'm going to do the work, I want you just while I'm talking to go meet with them to let them pray for you. I'm going to do the work because I want the new thing. I'm letting go of the old. I'm letting go of the old. I'm ready for the new thing. I'm going to put it I'm going to put it away. I'm, going to, I'm getting rid of it. I'm just taking it to the thrift store, to the garbage, to the dump. It's going. And some of you, as we've been working out this Selah, you're ready for the new thing. If you're ready for the new thing, I want you to come to the table that we have here. Come to the table and take and eat communion because the Lord wants to provide the new thing to you and it's your covenant, his covenant with you that he's going to provide it. He's going to provide the new thing. Just position yourself with him in this moment to receive the new thing he has for you. As you've been doing that work, I just sense that there are some people who have done some work, they've cleaned out and they keep going back to that room surprised by how it looks now because it's all been cleaned out. And so there's some new things that the Lord wants to put in there that surprise you, that speak of this new life that you're walking with him. And he's just got that for you right at his table. You're used to coming to him lowly, like a servant. And he's saying there's a place of intimacy where I call you my friend and I want to position myself right across the table from you. I'm your friend. You can sit with me at the table. You can join me. You can enter in. You can receive the new thing I have for you. I'm a good friend. I'm a good friend, he says. He's going to give you some weaponry at this table. He's going to provide some new weapons and to show you the ones that he has given you already that you didn't even know were weapons. 
You didn't even know that you were holding a slingshot. You didn't even know that you could kill a lion or a bear or a giant in the spirit, but he's saying you have and you will. You already have and you will. Will you let him speak to you and remind you of his faithfulness? Let him give you the memories of the victories. to stay in this holy place to position yourself some of you are going to sit at this table and receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit and with it comes the provision of prophecy and words of knowledge and miracles of healing of power of helping of serving so we just come into agreement with that Some of you have been walking in the fruit of the Spirit for a long time because he's been so close to you and you've walked in intimacy and he's saying that joy that you have, that's a weapon in my kingdom. That peace that you have, that's a weapon in my kingdom. That patience you have, that's a weapon in my kingdom. And you didn't even know it. So Father, would you continue to unearth for us the weapons of our warfare that are mighty in you.